Today I'm going to preach really from a story in 2 Kings chapter 4, but I'd like to start off in Ephesians today. And uh, probably about a month or so ago, I ran across a podcast, and uh, some of you have heard a little bit about this. I've talked to you about it. i talked to our community group leaders in our pre-semester kickoff meeting. Uh, but I just, I, it's something that I haven't been able to get away from, and I want to share what the Lord has been speaking to me. I believe it's pertinent for where we're at right now as a church, where we are at as individuals, and I believe that God is going to speak to somebody today. How many of you believe that God still speaks through the Word? Amen? How many of you believe God's Spirit has a purpose? Amen? Can we open up and let Him come in this place? Amen. Listen, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, reading in the English Standard Version says this. This is the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the Ephesian church, and I'm going to pluck a few words, but just indulge me for a moment. He says this, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through his spirit in your inner being. How many of you want that? Paul is praying for the church that an internal work would be done so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Listen to this. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Somebody say all the saints. That means it's not just for me. It's not just for Brother Chase. It's not just for Pastor. It's not just for the praise team. But Paul said this. I want you to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge listen to this so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God Paul said when you understand and recognize the love of God it is a vital piece of being filled with all of the fullness of God. And it's not just for you. It's not just a, about you. But I'm going to preach and I'm going to show you today that God wants to pour His love on the world through you. But first, you've got to be filled with all of the fullness of God. And listen to the final verse that I'll read from Ephesians. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. King James Version says it this way. To him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Paul is painting this picture of a God that wants to fill people so full that God does exceedingly and abundantly more than we ask or think according to what's working in us. Would you bow your head and pray? Lord, I, I pray, God, that the sovereign anointing of your spirit would step into this room. Lord, you brought us here for a purpose. And I pray, God, that you would help me to preach your word over the next half hour. And, Lord, that you would bring us to the revelation 
of what you've called us to be and to do in this hour in the name of Jesus. If you believe it, would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you are seated? Amen. In the book of Galatians, there is a simple line that paints an interesting picture um, of the age into which Jesus was born. The scripture says in Galatians 4.4 that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of woman made under the law. How many of you remember that verse? When the fullness of time was come, then came the Savior. All of the pinup prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled because the fullness of time had come. This was a simple phrase meant to convey that all the necessary events that were ordained to prepare the coming of Christ had been completed. In other words, when everything had been done that was needed to, to be done, when all the preparations and prophecies were made, when the fullness of time was come, then he stepped out from behind the veil of eternity in order to accomplish the work of the cross. But today, I'd like to borrow that phrase to describe the day and the hour in which we are currently living. Because we are living in a distinctly different kind of fullness of time. Our schedules are filled to the max with events, with hobbies, with obligations, with entertainment with all sorts of things, too many to keep track of because we live in a fullness of time. We live in a busy age where people are always on the go. Can I get an amen? Our time is full. We work hard, and there's a lot of folks doing it this weekend. We play hard, amen? We overcommit, and we underperform. There are many things that pull at our time and are vying for a spot in our precious schedules. Our time is full. Does anybody ever feel like you don't have time to do all the things that you need to do? Amen. My wife started working for the first time in our marriage full time away from the home just a few weeks ago. And we're living in the fullness of time. <laughs> it's taken the whole family to make up for the difference of the time that she wasn't at home. The fullness of time. Does, it, does that ring with anybody today? How many of you have to consult a calendar before you say yes or no to anything? You've you got to make sure your wires aren't crossed because we're living in the fullness of time. And listen, our time is not just full, but our minds are full in this time too. Because every minute and hour of the day, is filled to the full, filled with Facebook and Instagram, TikTok and Twitter, Snapchat and Pinterest. Hundreds and thousands of voices are constantly pushing us to buy a product or to believe a message. Yesterday we were uh, shoe shopping in the mall and we were talking about certain kinds of shoes and, and my wife opened up her phone a few minutes later and all of a sudden on her phone, where she had not Googled anything, 
There were ads for the shoes that we were looking for in the mall that we were standing in. Constantly. Messages being pushed to us. We're being advertised to every spare moment that we breathe. Our minds are full. We scroll mindlessly for hours, not realizing that we are filling our minds with messages, with pictures of life that the world is pushing towards us. And we are hearing all sorts of political opinions and masks and no masks and vaccines and no vaccines. And everybody is a professional on vaccines and and, and viruses and, and everybody knows what you should do with your life. And then the hurricane comes and everybody suddenly becomes a meteorologist. I know where it's going to hit, what you should do, how to survive it, how to get through it. We're living in the fullness of time. Our our schedules are full. Our our minds are being filled. You know, I, I haven't yet even spoken because our thoughts are pushed and prodded and pulled in many directions from the palm of our hand. There's Netflix. There's network news. New movies, podcasts, audiobooks, and so much more. It seems to be human nature to fill our lives up to the full. To fill our minds and our schedules with endless pursuits. And we live life to the max. And this is what we do. It's a lot like when I was a kid. I'd go get a drink in the kitchen and my mom would be watching over me, and I'd, I'd run into the kitchen, and I'd grab a cup, and I would fill it as close to the top as I possibly could. How many of you remember doing that as a kid? I thought, if I'm going to get a drink, I'm going to make it worth my time. And I'd be walking around the house with that cup. My mom said, you're going to spill that! <laughs> you're going to lose what you set out to gain. Because you're trying to fill it up too full. And this is how we live life, is we fill it so full. It's so full of things and, and, and items and entertainment and, and thinking and, and all of these things that we fill it up to the very brim. Every spare moment. My kids, uh, God bless them. I don't mean to embarrass them. They're in here because it's first Sunday. But listen, if we got a spare hour where we're not doing something and we got nothing to do, Listen, the Wi-Fi goes out. It don't take 10 minutes to get bored. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Because we're so accustomed to living like this. We, we fill our life to the very brim as much as we can get out of life. And just like little children getting refills, I would fill it up to the brim. Because I thought that's what it means to live. And that's what it means. That's what you're supposed to do. This is the message of our modern age. We have a fear of missing out. And so we put our kids in every sports program that we can. And and we get involved in every kind of hobby and activity and, and everything that we can do. We pursue and we run and we chase things in this life until we are full to the top. Can I get an amen? Am I preaching here today? This is the message. Don't miss out. Get everything you can out of life. Buy everything you can buy. Don't pass on the opportunity. You only pass by here once. Get everything you possibly can. Squeeze it all in. Fill it to the top. And yet, 
we feel empty. Yet, we struggle more now than we ever have with anxiety. You know what anxiety is? It's fear of the future. It's fear of tomorrow. Our generation struggles more now with anxiety than it ever has before. Statistically, they have tracked the numbers beginning in about 2014 across colleges. The, the numbers begin to spike concerning anxiety and depression as that generation entered college. So if you do the quick math and, and you go back 20, 30 somethings, you're more, you have more anxiety than any other generation before you. And yet you have more opportunity than any generation before you. We are more anxious than we've ever been before. We, are, we wrestle with depression more than we ever have before. We deal with deep sadness about our past because we look back at how much we filled it with. And yet we still feel empty. We wonder what is the measure of our life and how will it matter in the end. And you know what we do? We pop pills like no other generation. Looking for a way to navigate through this thing we call life. And the author, Eric Hoffer, said this. He said, the feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. He said, it is, on the contrary, born of a vague fear that we are wasting our life. But when we do not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. And we are the busiest people in the world. You hear what he said? He said, when we fill our life up with so many things and we don't have the time to do the things that we ought to do, we, have, we become the busiest people in the world, but also the emptiness. And so... We live our lives so full of things that don't matter that there's little room left for the things that do matter. And we deal with a general lack in our generation. I, I want to carry you with me quickly. I'm, I'm not going to preach long today. At least I'm not going to try to. Praise the Lord for honesty. <laughs> Second Kings chapter 4 tells the story of a little widow lady. It's tucked into the life of Elisha. And we read about this woman who finds herself in a dire situation. She is the wife of one of the sons of the prophet who served Elisha. And the scripture tells us that her husband has died. He, 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 we don't know the story. We don't know what got him. But she is reeling from the loss of her husband. And she is left to raise two young boys on her own. Two sons that are her responsibility. And after the death, she is left alone with these two boys, but she does still have to pay the debts of the family. And so by all accounts, she and her husband have set out to live a life of ministry long ago. They were standing for God in an age where many people were not. But now he has died and she is alone and, and she doesn't have enough in her house to pay off the debts. And the creditors come knocking at the door because they're going to take her sons into captivity because she doesn't have enough in her house to pay her debts. The creditors were coming. 
And so here's a single mother with a problem on her hands. The lives of her sons depended on her ability to produce something. To produce something of value that would, that would save their future. While the husband was around, he had a career. I, I don't know how he made his money, but he made enough money for them to survive. But when he's gone, she doesn't have any skill or, or ability or anything of value that can save her sons. Not enough in the house to save them. And so she cries out to Elisha. And it says this, that she cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha says to her, what, what shall I do for you? In other words, he was saying, I want to help. I, I want to help you through this problem that you have. What, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what, what do you have in your house? I know that you can't pay your debts, but is there anything that you have that you can give that, that, that is of value? What do you have in your house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. All I've got in the house of any value is a little jar of oil. That's all I've got. She had either sold everything else or spent everything else that could save her sons. And all she had left of any value in her life was this little vial of oil. Now, I know what you're thinking. This was not your typical jar of cooking oil that would have been found in an ancient home. But the Hebrew word tells us that it was a unique and special kind of oil. And it was likely a small jar of anointing oil that she had. You see, her husband was a prophet. And it was the remnants of his ministry. They would take the uh, oil. And we read about it when the prophet Samuel comes to David's house. He comes with a horn of oil. When God says to him, take thy horn of oil and go. And he brings his horn of oil to David's house. And he anoints David as the next king. And because of the anointing that Samuel carries, he is able to produce a king for the future. And we see other places in the scripture that they would take the anointing oil and they would sanctify people and objects to the kingdom of God and set them apart from the world for the kingdom, for the use of the master. And we see the same oil appearing over and over again by use of the prophets. They would take a little oil and they would put it on the sick and it would become a healing balm to those that were in need around them. And so all she has left of the life she spent with her husband is a little anointing just a small jar of oil and then he said go outside and he said what I want you to do is I want you to borrow vessels from all your neighbors empty vessels and not too few and he says I want you to go in when you've gotten all the vessels that you can get I want you to go in and I want you to shut the door to your house and he said I want you to take those vessels and I want you to begin to pour into all of those vessels the oil from the jar that you have. Gather as many vessels as you can. Bring them to your house. Shut the door. 
and start pouring out what you do have into the vessels that are empty. Listen to the words of the prophet. He says, borrow vessels from all your neighbors. Empty. Somebody say empty vessels. Empty vessels. And he said, and not too full. In other words, he says, get enough to make a difference. Get enough to make a difference in your situation. Don't come home with just two or three. Go to everybody that you know. Search the streets, the highways and byways. I know you don't have money, but there's people in your life that can add to you and that can bless you. And so go out and get all the vessels that you can get and bring them home. And listen, the miracle that happened in this lady's life began with what she had in her house. She only had a little of an anointing. But God wanted to increase the anointing that she had. God wanted to increase what she already had. God heard her prayer for more. And only God could supply her with what she needed to make it through. Listen. I'm going to pause right here. It's not in my notes, but I'm just going to say, stop waiting for something to fall in your lap that you don't have. Because the miracle starts with what you do have. The Bible said it this way, despise not the day of small things. If all you've got is a little bit of oil, then give God what you've got. Put it into action. Start pouring it out. Because as long as it's in your hands, God cannot multiply it. Pour it out. Use it for the kingdom. And so she takes it. The Bible says she obeys the prophet and she goes and she pounds on every door. And she fills her house up with empty vessels. And the Bible says she pulls the door closed behind her. You know what I believe that means? I believe that that means the miracle doesn't happen in public. It happens in private. You see, some of you want God to increase your anointing. You want Him to increase your purpose. You want Him to increase your ability. But all you do is you show up in public and you say, God, when will you do the miracle? But the prophet didn't say, go out to the middle of the street. Gather you a crowd where everybody will shout and dance with you. He said, get in the private closet. Pull the door closed. Just you and your family. Pull the door closed. And make sure that you start pouring out in private. And God will make a difference in the public. He said... Shut the door behind you. Listen, what if the level of your family devotion is determining the level of your effectiveness in the kingdom of God? You see, you can't just show up when it's time to do ministry without any pouring in the private and have enough to save the next generation. You can't have enough just just show up and say, I'm going to smile pretty. I'm going to do a good job. I'm going to rely on the little talent that I've got. And listen, honey, unless you find a private place to forge the miracle, it'll never happen in your life. My, my, my. And listen, it's not just about you. He said, borrow vessels. You see, there are people that God has placed in your life to add to you. He didn't call you to do this alone. But there are strategic people that God has placed around you to grow you. Some of them you don't get along with. Some of them test you and challenge you. Some of them speak up and you don't like it. 
Some of them stand in a pulpit sometimes. Some of them, you meet them on the job. Some of them call you on the phone. But hear me today, God has placed people in your life to increase your anointing. And the prophet said, you're not going to make it on your own. But you've got to link up with others around you. Listen, that's why we do what we do at Christian Life Church. We don't just preach messages and send them out. But we gather together as a body. We serve together as a body. We go to Grace Place and feed the hungry together as a body. We get together in community groups as a body. Why? Because you've got to borrow vessels to increase your anointing. You've got to borrow vessels to increase your anointing. Listen, you can't do it on your own because you're not the hero of the story. God speaks to the widow and he says, I can, I can help you to minister to the next generation. I can help you save those that are hanging on you, but I need you to pull the door closed, and I need you to get some empty vessels in the house. And he said, when you begin to pour, God will multiply the oil. Listen, the miracle, somebody say this, the miracle belongs to God. You can't save anybody. Is that right if I just preach to the church? I know we have some guests here. I'm thankful that y'all are here. But I got to talk to CLC for a little while. You can't save anybody. It's not you who makes the difference. The miracle belongs to God. When you've got just a little bit of oil, only God can multiply it and make it enough to reach somebody else and to meet the need of the hour. The miracle belongs to God, and the power is in His hands to perform it. It doesn't belong to you or to me. It's not in my style or in my method or in the actions that I take, but it's in the power of God. God owns the miracle. Listen, and here's what God said. He said, if you will take the oil and pour it out, I'll multiply it. And only God can multiply our oil. Listen, if Monroe is going to have revival, if Christian Life Church is going to be effective in its ministries, if, if we're going to be who God called us to be, it's not going to be by our might, and it's not going to be by our power, but it's going to be by the Spirit of the living God. The miracle belongs to God. God will do what only he can do. God will do what only he can do. Listen, I can't heal anybody. I can't save anybody from a storm. Joe, I thought about you. I thought, man, I wish there was a way I could get out there, but there was no way I could get out there. I can't do that, but God can. Margie Hodge, I don't know if she's here today. She came down here a few months ago, had fallen and hurt her back. She called me down and asked for prayer. I prayed with her. And you know what I couldn't do? I couldn't heal her back. But she later told me that on the way back to her seat, the pain left. And God healed her back. Not because Rory Chance had anything to offer. I just did what I could do and prayed with her. But listen, when you do what you can do, God will do what he can do. The miracle belongs to God. Elisha was smart enough to recognize 
that the miracle belonged to God. Only God can multiply the oil. Only God can make more out of less. Only God could do exceedingly and abundantly above what she was asking or thinking. Only God could do that. The miracle is God's responsibility. But hear me today. The magnitude of the miracle was her responsibility. The miracle belonged to God, but the magnitude belonged to the widow. Because the measure of her miracle was determined by how many empty vessels that she brought into the house. The prophet warned her, don't bring too few. Why? Because you have the ability to decide how big the miracle will be. The measure of her miracle was in her own hands. And if she had only brought several small vessels back, her miracle would have been minimized by her lack of capacity to receive what God was multiplying. As long as she was increasing her capacity, God would keep the oil flowing from her vessel. But she could not multiply the oil only God could do that. But what she could do is she could gather empty vessels. She could increase her capacity for the miracle. She could pour out what she did have in faith that God would multiply it. You see, the miracle belongs to God, CLC, but the magnitude belongs to you. And in order to increase the miracle, you've got to increase your capacity. Can I get an amen? Listen, I'm not going to take a long time, but I just want to show you real quick what the scripture does. Because this, this message is a theme throughout these chapters. In 2 Kings chapter 3 and 4. Three times in two chapters, Elisha shows us that the magnitude of the miracle is in my hands. In just a chapter before the story of this little widow woman, the Bible says Israel was fighting a battle. And they came up through the desert and they had no water. And the Bible says the Moabites were about to overcome them. And the king came to Elisha and said, what do we do? We have no water. And he tells the king, Jehoshaphat, he says, here's what you're going to do. He said, I want you to dig ditches and make this valley full of ditches. And if you'll dig the ditches, God will send the water. And the scripture tells us that all night they dug and they dig out these, these uh, in the red clay of the, of the soil of Edom. They dig out these ditches in the bottom of the valley. And somewhere up in the mountains, somewhere far off, God sends rain. And that night, water begins to flow and pour down. And in the morning when they wake up, the ditches are full of water. Water for them to drink. But God goes exceedingly and abundantly above what they ask or think because when the Moabites look out and they see the waters they are stained by the red soil and it looks like blood and they think that they the armies have turned on themselves and they rush in to attack and Israel leaps upon them and wins the victory that's just before the story of this miracle and right after it there's a story of another lady <clears throat> we hear it preached about often She's a wealthy woman, and the prophet was passing by her house, and she says, let us make him a little room in the house. 
so that when he passes by, we can feed him and we can give him a safe place to stop and pray as he passes by. She didn't have much to offer, but she had a house. She built a room, and she made room for the prophet Elisha to come. And when he comes, he says, what shall be done for you? And and she says, I'm not asking for anything. And he says, well, I see you don't have a son. And God speaks to her and gives her a son. And I'm going to fast forward because I don't have all day to preach here. But God speaks to her, and he gives her a son. And just a few years later, that son falls sick and begins to die. And she tells God, I didn't ask you for this son. I I didn't even request this son. But Lord, you gave him to me because I made room in my life for the miracle. And so, you know where she takes him? She takes him upstairs to that little room that she had built for the prophet of God in her life. And she lays her son in that room. And the Bible says she goes to Elisha and finds him. And when she finds him, he asks, is all well? And she says, it is well with my soul. Why? Because she had a dead son, but he was laying in a room that she had made for a miracle. And the Bible says, God sends the prophet back. And in the same room that she made a long time ago, She didn't know it, but she was making provision to minister to somebody that was hanging on her. And there, in that room, the same room, the prophet lays upon her son and speaks and breathes life back into his body. She made room for the miracle. Hear me today. Every one of these miracles happened in the life of somebody who was responsible for the outcome of others. The miracles came in correlation to their personal responsibility for the outcome of others. Everything about these passages point to purpose and to calling. The widow needed oil in her house because somebody was counting. Her son's future was counting on her. I'm preaching today, and I know you probably didn't see this coming, but I'm preaching that somebody in your life is counting on you. Somebody is relying on your anointing. Brother Toby, would you come prepare? Somebody in your life is depending on you to increase your capacity and to make room for the miracle. That's my title today, to make room for the miracle. Because what God is speaking and what God is saying is, I will do what only I can do if you will do what only you I will multiply the oil. I'll multiply the oil. As you begin to pour it out. And God says, if you'll bring me empty vessels, if you'll make room in your life, here's what I'll do. I'll fill you up. I'll 
fill you up to the full. As much room as you make, as long as you've made space, I'll make you really glad. And listen, there are people all the way up here that God wants you to reach. There are people that God has put you in contact with. Listen, He will keep pouring as long as you make room. He'll keep multiplying as long as you make room. There's so much. Somebody hear me in the Holy Ghost. Is anybody out there with me right now? God wants to use you. God could have done God could have snapped his fingers and oil could have appeared in her house but that's not how God does things he's saying you have something that I want to use and if you'll bring it and make room and increase your capacity in your life I will multiply it and I will make sure that as long as you are pouring the miracle keeps happening as long as you are ministering, I'll make sure that people's lives are touched and changed. As long as you serve me and as long as you clear space in your calendar, I will make the miracle happen because somebody is counting on you. Listen, God does not forsake the righteous. David said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. And if you set out and you've got a little anointing, God has not abandoned you. The reason you're frustrated and feel like you're never enough is not because God has abandoned you. Listen, it's because there is little room in our life for God to move. And we so filled it up with other things that when we go to pour the oil, there's just not much room for ministry there. There's not much room. And listen, we come to church and it feels flat. Like today. It feels like we're pulling against the weight of the world. And we go to do ministry, community group leader, and you show up unprepared and you haven't prayed. And you say, God, I want you to do a miracle. But listen, there's not much room in our life for God to move. We are living too full. We filled our schedules up. We fill our lives up. And we do everything but what matters the most. We get texts about church events. We say, you know, I can't make that. I got this. I really don't. That's not really my jam. That's not my thing. And we're so full that we're living just a little bit of miracles. Well, don't get me wrong. We come to church and we feel that little bit of anointing kick in. We feel some goosebumps. But listen, God has something so much bigger than goosebumps for each and every person in this room. And 
what I come to preach to you today about is that if you will increase your capacity, if you'll start emptying some stuff out of your life, if you'll start pouring some stuff and clearing some space in your heart for God, listen, God will maximize the miracle. If you will maximize your capacity and God, as much as you've got, He'll pour out everything that He has to give. He'll pour it all out upon you if you'll make room for God in your life. God will not forsake the righteous. Listen, stand with me. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is interested in rescuing those that are trapped in bondage. The Spirit of the Lord, he said, has anointed me to preach the gospel. The Spirit of God is upon me, and it's anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted, to preach liberty to the captives. God is fully invested in the miracle. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave everything that he had because he's invested in the miracle. And God, listen to this, God entrusted you and me with the message of reconciliation. The magnitude of that miracle. Note that he did not leave his gospel in the hands of just anybody. But he chose 12 the gospel to reach based on the actions of those 12 imagine if they didn't have any space in their life imagine if they filled it so full of other things that they said God we really don't have time to go to Jerusalem we really don't have the measure to do that you see the magnitude of what God wants to do depends on you and me Today, I'm going to ask you some questions. How many will be healed by your oil? How many will be sanctified and set apart by God from your oil? How many will be commissioned to their purpose? How many kings will come forth from your anointing? How much oil will flow from out of your life? You see, she had a little anointing, but it was going to take more than she had. And so she had to increase her capacity. There wasn't room in her life. And so God's advice to the prophet, through, uh, to her through the prophet, was make room for the miracle. Make room for God to do what he wants to do. You see, what if the reason that we see few miracles flowing is because our vessels are so full that we have no space? What if the reason your child is disinterested in God is because you've left no room in your life or your schedule for the Spirit? What if your prayer life is not big enough to contain the full measure of what God wants to do? What if we are so full of everything else that there is nowhere for the oil to flow? What if we are minimizing the miracle because we have not taken the time to increase our capacity? See, there is a promise in this message that if we will make room, God will move. If we will make room, God will move. If we'll clear the stage and clear the schedules, God will move. How many of you believe that? Raise your hand. If 
we'll make room, God. Some little woman says she was caught in a press, and the Bible says she pushed her way through the press. She made room, and there is a promise connected that if we'll push some stuff aside, and if we'll clear the schedule and the stage and we'll make God the priority and we'll get involved in ministry again and we'll shove aside our disappointment and our frustration and our past failures and our, our discouragement, if we'll shove those things aside, the miracle will move. God will pour out the miracle. Listen to me. There is no reason that this church cannot reach the broken and hurting. There is no reason why we cannot have counseling centers for our community based out of this church. There is no reason that we cannot be a place where people turn to when they are troubled and they are torn. There is no reason that you cannot be a lighthouse on your job that people turn to when they are in trouble. There is no reason that your kids and your family cannot be mightily used by God. There's no reason that we shouldn't have to build a bigger student center. There's no reason that we we shouldn't have the most effective kids' ministry in this town. God will pour it out. But He wants to know, will you increase your capacity? God wants to use you to impact somebody. He wants to use His church. God wants to use your life. And so maybe you came here today these last closing moments. I'm going to give an altar call. I'm just forewarning you. I know it's a holiday weekend, but I'm going to give an altar call. Maybe you are here today and your life looks like the jar full of water. And you just got no room. There's just not enough time in the day to do the things that, the callings that God put in your heart long ago. Maybe you're too full of everything else for God to move. And you never intended to, but you've minimized the miracle in your life. God has little room to move. Today I'm going to invite you down to this altar to come and make room. Maybe you came here today and your heart's been filled up with all the wrong things. Maybe the world distracted you and convinced you to fill your life with things that have left you empty inside. But today I'm going to invite you just to step out into the aisle and bring your empty vessel to Jesus. Become an empty yourself of you, of your plans, of your dreams, of your desires. And I want to give you an opportunity to pray the emptying prayer of repentance. Or maybe you came here today and you've wondered why you've never been able to minister and make a difference. And your external reality does not match your internal calling. But I want to tell you that God is calling you today to increase your capacity. Do whatever it takes to grow beyond your current leadership and effectiveness and if you will make room he will move right now if one of those is you I just want you to lift your hands and step out on the aisle and step towards this altar we're just going to pray for a few minutes as I pray would you just begin to move come on CLC God wants to use us God has a dynamic vision for this church God has a dynamic mission for this church he's just waiting on us to make room in our life in the name of Jesus, right now, God, I want to pray over somebody's heart. 
God, I want to pray over somebody's mind, God. This is a message to the church, God. And Lord, I deliver it as you delivered it to me. That God, the reason we are all frustrated and feel as if we failed is because we've not cleared enough space or room in our life for you to flow. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now, God, that hearts would begin to empty themselves of other things, God, of distractions and disturbances that don't really matter. God, I pray in the name of Jesus right now, God, that you would begin to minister to somebody. And Lord, that as they shut the door in their private life, God, that you would begin to let the miracle begin to flow. God, let the gifts of the Spirit awaken in somebody's life. Come on, I'm here to prophesy to somebody that if you'll pray more, God will use you in the gifts of the Spirit. Come on, that's it. Let that be our anthem today, Lord. I'm going to make room to do whatever you want to, God. Hallelujah.